the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Tuesday, December 27th. Hope you all had a happy Hanukkah and a Merry Christmas. We only have a few broadcasts left to close out 2022. I wonder where you are on the conclusion of this year. I was talking with someone the other day about this year saying something I kind of regret saying, but also kind of mean. I, I said, I'm very much looking forward to putting a fork in 2022 and getting on with the new year. And the moment I said it, I almost immediately regretted it. First, because of the lack of gratitude and all the gifts and blessings I neglected, and we would all neglect in saying such a thing. Second, the arrogance. A friend of mine often says, someone's always having a worse day. And that's true. And third, the karma. As another friend of mine often says, it can always be worse, and you can invite that. Then another thought, which is that too often over the past two years, a lot of us have been saying, at least since, what, December of 2020, November of 2020, something like, I'm really looking forward to 2021. And then 2021 came and we said things like, I'm really looking forward to 2022, given the unhappiness with the previous years. And I wonder if the focus on those anims horribilis puts us in dark places where we only see horribilis. 2020 was uniquely awful, of course, from COVID to riots to an election many of us uh, wished did not eventuate the way it did. And to this day, I think we are still paying off the interest of 2020 and will be for a very long time, especially economically and mentally. Perhaps the two most important things in life, economics and our soul or mental conditions. So I think we should all try some form of a psychic change if any of this resonates. I was looking at uh, what I was saying at the end of the year two years ago, and it was a reminder that history, George Will once wrote, is like the lantern on a train's caboose, illuminating where we are not going. Looking back, in other words, gives us little to look forward to. It ignores what's in front of us. On the other hand, we've been taught again and again that if we do not study history, we are condemned to repeat it, as the famous Harvard philosopher George Santayana once put it. Somewhere in between, we know that we must embrace the month of January, named after the Roman god Janus, who looked both forward and backward. And January is nigh upon us. It's a time of New Year resolutions and looking back over the past year, both at once, simultaneously. We think about what we did this past year. We think about what we can do better next. We think about where we've been and we think about where we are going which gets us to resolutions, New Year's resolutions. Since about 1988, I've disliked that word for a reason many of you may think actually weird. The reason is it's the title of the final two, the last two episodes of my favorite television show, Magnum P.I. Second to let the penultimate was Resolutions 1. The ultimate show was titled Resolutions 2. And I was always very con connected to that show. Um, 
it's around the same time the song by Paul Simon, You Can Call Me Al, was popular with the lyric, Cool Be My Role Model Now That My Role Model Is Gone. And there were a lot of things from that show that were exemplified that could be a lot worse than today's fair coming as it did at the end of the 1980s, which could um, which could also uh, recognize that uh, they were a lot better then, given what the 1980s represented or the close of them. Principles, martial virtues, anti-communism, honor, loyalty, and deep friendships, childhood friendships which were forged back then, which to me is what I took from that show going forward, a deep, a deep commitment to the idea of friendship. You see, I think the Beatles got it wrong. We don't, at least I don't, get by from a little help from my friends. I get by with a lot of help from my friends. Aristotle puts it this way in Book 8 of the Nicomachean Ethics, quote, When men are friends, they have no need of justice. While when they are just, they need friendship as well, and the truest form of justice is thought to be a friendly quality. Even the just need friends, but friends themselves don't require justice. As one scholar explains this point, a complete life could not have been lived in solitude, so justice and friendliness between fellow citizens is essential. Maybe we should keep that in mind. Life cannot be lived in solitude. So I try to pay tribute to friends around New Year's. To me, they are the most essential part of my life. And I hope yours too, though I can appreciate if you may rank a few other things even higher, perhaps family, perhaps God, perhaps country. Those are different kinds of institutions, of course. Not voluntary, for one, not at their inception anyway, and they each do require a form of justice too, which I think interesting, family, God, and country. But back to friends. My resolution each year is to pay tribute to them and to try to be a better one to them. It's not the kind of resolution that, say, with dieting or something else is self-serving. So this year, I just want to do a shout-out to a few special friends who took a chance on me here and given me and working with me on this radio show. Over some time, their families, as other families have as well, adopted me, not only bringing me into their fold and their home, but also inviting me into their lives and the lives of their children and children's children. One cannot overstate the trust one must have in someone to bring them into the lives of their children or grandchildren, as the cases may be and are in mind. To trust someone with your children and grandchildren must be the highest form of trust there is, which is what makes a bond of friendship with such families all the more special and an honor to be part of and to protect, which seems to me as good a place as any to speak about societal resolution. I would love us all to undertake for the new year. A serious redressing of the moral and educational void in our culture as it perhaps pertains to bringing up our children. Teddy Roosevelt said, to educate a man in the mind and not the morals is to educate a menace to society. Why couldn't each and every one of us make a simple commitment to our young adults and adolescents, each one reaching one? Maybe something as simple as giving them a good book. And if that opportunity isn't available, perhaps writing something to or about what is being done in a society that too easily corrupts too many of our children. There is, after all, an awful lot that is corrupting them. Those things should not be dismissed. Neil Postman, in his classic book, The Disappearance of Childhood, writes the following, quote, To have to stand and wait as the charm 
malleability, innocence, and curiosity of children are degraded and then transmogrified into the lesser features of future adulthood is painful, embarrassing, and above all else, sad. But I have consoled myself with this thought. If one cannot say anything about how we may prevent a social disaster, perhaps one may also serve by trying to understand why it is occurring. He also wrote this. Children are a force meant to preserve childhood. Not a political force, certainly, but a kind of moral force. Children, it would seem, not only know there is value in being different from adults, but care and are concerned that a distinction be made. They know, perhaps better than adults, that something terribly important is lost if the distinctions are blurred. American culture is today hostile to the idea of childhood. But it is a comforting, even exhilarating thought to know children are not hostile to the idea of childhood. They want to preserve it. All of which I think is true by conditionally and logically if and only if adults stop using children as a political force and cease the propagandizing of them for their own political wishes and mischief and using them to soothe and solve their anxieties. Aristotle had a good read on it and modern psychology and other contemporary studies back him up. We teach or should teach by habit. The most effective teaching is by precept and example. Aristotle says that habituation at an early age makes more than a little difference. It makes all the difference. So there, it seems to me, is a good charge to adults for resolutions that aid and assist the moral raising of our country's children. Present yourself adults in the world in such a way as to example and evidence goodness, decency, and moral health to the children who are watching you, and they are always watching you. That's kind of why I never loved the expression, the characters, who you are when nobody is watching. As a matter of self-discipline, that charge might be important. As a matter of teaching by habit, precept, and example, character matters just as much when people are watching, especially young people, because you never know. They're always watching. Back if I made a resolutions and the new year, our politics cannot be exempt from any of this. We cannot live in stasis and we should never settle. The country, this country, has been known as the innovation nation. It was created with the motto, Novus Order Seclorum, a new order of the ages. We were once the can-do place where people ran to for a better life, more liberty more safety, the rule of law, the opportunity to make something of themselves and their progeny. They did not run here, and we were not founded as a new place of liberty in order to go backward. And yet we seem to be in a political place of that kind of paralysis, if not slip in regression. Every few months we have a budget debate, as we just concluded one last week. Every few weeks a hot spot in the world becomes exceedingly hot again, And we debate things like sanctions or military action or negotiation. And it's always, by the way, the same three or four hot spots with little recognition that the wheel is the problem rather than the spokes. It's about the Lord and not the rings. And we reach for things that make us feel better temporarily or, shall we say, anesthetize us rather than do things that 
actually work, though they may not feel good temporarily. But until we truly embrace the meaning of this holiday season, charity, goodwill, the importance of every child as if he or she were our own, we will be spinning our wheels, the same wheels, over and over again. That's not resolution any more than it is a successful revolution. This takes a new kind of maturity in our political and cultural discussions and debates, a maturity that, yes, has to look both forward and back. So let us look back to an anniversary we missed about a week ago, 223 years ago, the death of our most important American and founder, General and President George Washington. Upon his death, December 14th, Thomas Jefferson said this of him, quote, perhaps the strongest feature in his character was prudence. Never acting until every circumstance, every consideration was maturely weighed, refraining if he saw a doubt, but when once decided going through with his purpose, whatever obstacles opposed him, his integrity was most pure, his justice the most inflexible I have ever known, no motives of interest or consanguinity, of friendship or hatred being able to bias his decisions. He was indeed, in every sense of the word, a wise, a good Great man, close quote. Maybe we could strive to emulate that as our resolution, those things, old virtues, as we move forward to cure ourselves of our current vices. The beginning of our political and cultural repair, I believe, we should all think of as our New Year resolution. And more gratitude all the way around. So with that, let me give one more big thank you to all of you, and especially those who have made this place, this show, such a special one. Let me give out the phone number if you have anything to add, thought, think, teach, instruct, or any resolutions you like or struggle with. 602-508-0960. Your hours. 602-5080-960. I'm Seth Leibson, and we will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. If you haven't heard, uh, the judge in the Kerry uh, Lake election challenge uh, today re uh, rejected uh, requests for sanctions against her attorneys, so they aren't going to be hit uh, punitively with any financial um, judgments, uh, but uh, did grant uh, the $33,000 in attorney's fees to uh, Katie Hobbs's campaign uh, attorneys, uh, Katie Hobbs's uh, attorneys. Uh, can talk about that. Kind of interesting. Uh, we'll talk to um, Hugh Hallman about this a little bit more in depth later. Uh, kind of interesting that uh, the judge here, Peter Thompson, did that. I, my immediate read without having read his order uh, just yet is that um, he's trying to calm some waters here and uh, keep from uh, raising the temperature on uh, on this series of challenges. Uh, yes to attorney's fees, no to sanctions, kind of trying to um, no longer um, punish or, uh, shall we say, uh, sanction, if that is the right word, that is the legal term, sanction the plaintiffs, um, kind of let it die on the vine, if you will. Uh, kind of an interesting end-of-the-year story. It probably en ends with uh, more of a whimper than a bang that way, and that's probably the maturity of that judge, from best I can tell. I watched a lot of that trial. And um, 
I thought he was he was very respectful uh, to all the arguments. Did a very good job. Um, unlike you know other famous trials with televised judges, like we still we still didn't, we still know the name Lance Ito, don't we? Though that trial took place when nineteen ninety four, nineteen ninety five. I don't know if Lance Ito is still around, but we we still remember that. It's always kind of been the didn't mean to go here, but it's always kind of been an interesting debate about allowing cameras in the courtroom. Uh, they're not allowed in federal. They're allowed in some state courtrooms. Arizona's one of them that allows them. The argument against allowing them in the federal courtrooms uh, are that uh, are over the concern that the judge will do exactly what Lancito did, which is play to the people watching on TV, play to the cameras rather than to the courtroom and to the rule of law, and that the attorneys would do the same. And uh, that argument, I think, it was borne out in the OJ case. There's no question about it. Uh, the, um, the attorneys all did that, and so did the judge. On the other hand, and uh, Alan Dershowitz is very famous for arguing in favor of cameras in federal courtrooms, is that it brings, you know, a lot more um, education to the people about uh, this very, um, very, very otherwise shaded, very otherwise covert part of our institutions, which is, um, you know, a third, one of the three um, levels of our government, the judiciary and the American people, the world, should see how it functions. And he thinks that there would be a level of accountability uh, if if judges and attorneys uh, were able to be seen on cameras. Anyway, that's the debate. And if any of you, it's, it's great. You guys ask great questions. A lot of you will ask questions. Why was this televised and that wasn't? And so on and so forth. There, there's your answer. Uh, states make up their own rules on, on whether uh, cameras can be allowed in the courtrooms. And uh, the federal law is that the federal judiciary does not in federal district cases. Uh, speaking of um, federal district cases, I want to spend some time on this. The biggest, perhaps, tell me if I'm wrong. Yeah, let me let me throw it out to you for your, your calls. What is the biggest story of the year? Um, what was the biggest story of the year to you? Scott Johnson writes, and I agree, that the biggest story of the year is the least covered of the great stories of the year, which was what we learned about Twitter and the censorship not only that took place, not only the censorship that took place there, but the co-opting of it and the pressuring uh, of Twitter and its pre-Elon Musk uh, organization by uh, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, by the U.S. government, and the pressure put on it um, as a um, as a matter of politics. If you think of Twitter as a uh, communication tool, if you think of it as a political communication tool. Think about what it would mean for the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the FBI, the Department of Justice, the federal government, any government. Think of uh, think of them putting uh, pressure on um, telephone companies. Think of them putting pressure on uh, what are the big ones now? AT and T, I suppose. Uh, is Sprint still big? I don't know. Verizon putting pressure on those to censor and stop conversation from political points of view that they don't want aired not allowing, let's say, me to communicate with my producer, Bill, on an issue that they don't like. That's more analogous than you think, and I'll tell you why in just a little bit. Anyway, I am Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. I'd love to know what you think is the biggest story of the year.
Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. John Dombrowski is the president and founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. He is the host of his own radio show right here on 960 AM. Heard every Saturday morning at 7 AM. And his website, should you like to uh, reach out to him, easy way to get to him, is grandcanyonplanning.com. Grandcanyonplanning.com. John, happy Tuesday. How are you, sir? Um, doing fantastic. Hopefully you had a great holiday weekend. Yes, I hope you did, too. How long did the deck? Decors stay up at your house, uh, or are well, you already on to Valentine's Day? No, not yet. No, okay. I would say we're probably going to be there through the uh, first of the year. Do you? Okay. Yeah, All after right. the first of the year, they'll have to start coming down. I was looking at the Wall Street Journal doing the biggest stories of the year. It's amazing how much <laughs> did transpire uh, this year. But just today's news, kind of interesting. A couple things that were picking up uh, that were lifting my eyebrows. Tesla's stock is headed for its worst month. Uh-huh. And then there's not a single financial or paper anywhere non-financial that isn't slamming Southwest yeah. airlines. Yeah. And I'm wondering if the news is going to be a leading indicator for Southwest to have some problems. Well, obviously, uh, with all the cancellations yeah. that they have right now, that's going to create some challenges for them financially. Uh, they're going to lose that revenue. Uh, they're going to obviously recoup a lot of the revenue because people are still going to probably use the ticket that they purchased. They no. won't get necessarily a refund. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there's no question. Plus, again, their expenses don't go down just because the plane doesn't take off. That's right. You know, they still have that expense no. of uh, keeping that plane maintained or people employed, uh, fleet, people employed, everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Paying yeah. the rent to right. have that yeah. plane sit there and yeah. do nothing. Yeah. Uh, they've got to turn that you know business around and uh, get get those planes back in the air. But unfortunately, the weather has created a, a tremendous amount of uh, issues for many airlines. Uh, but also, it looks like they've had some challenges with lost luggage. Yeah, well I, I know. I'm tired of hearing about the weather <laughs> thing, and I'll tell you why. It's kind of like the same view I have when you're sitting on the uh, is it on the runway waiting to get off the plane all you want to do is get off the plane and yeah. they say we do, you know we don't have enough personnel yet or yeah. it's like did you not see us coming right <laughs> were you, know, were you not been, expecting us are we surprising yeah. you here this flight's <laughs> been scheduled for yeah. a year yeah <laughs> did you not know that uh, this is uh, december speaking of uh, that's the business front on the personal front yeah. uh, it's, it's last minute obviously it's yes. uh, a couple days away from the new year is there anything people can do for their own uh, individual situations uh, before the year closes yeah out? we've been working through this with a lot of our clients seth and i think a lot of people um, are probably faced with the same issues which is, of course, if you're over the age of 72 right now, you have to be taking what are called required minimum distributions from your uh, retirement accounts. Mm-hmm. Uh, so make sure you still got a couple days to do this, but make sure you do that. And we've mentioned this in the past, that there are, are penalties for not taking the required amount that you have to. IRS mandates that. There's a, um, a specific uh, way that you have to calculate that required distribution each year based on its value and your age. So make sure you do take that distribution before January 1st because it is not as the contributions would allow for many of these retirement accounts where you can contribute up to April 15th uh, tax day for the prior year for a contribution. No, the distribution has to be taken in the calendar year. So please make sure that you do that. Also, start gathering or getting ready to gather all of your tax information, right? Because the year is uh, ended and we're going to have to start thinking about getting all of our tax information ready for our tax preparation so that you don't miss anything. 
uh, and there's always changes in tax laws. And so make sure you stay up on top of that. And if you're working with a CPA, which hopefully you are, or a tax advisor, make sure you get everything to them in an orderly fashion as well as in a timely fashion so that you can get your taxes done as soon as possible. And if you are, by the way, also on the other side of this, if you are looking for a deduction, um, mm-hmm. now is the time to give yes. away Those any last, charitable still have donations. Some time. Right. Yeah. And again, that's a calendar year that's yeah. not right. uh, up until April 15th. So. Please make sure you uh, look at those charities that all need your help. Uh, and also, uh, you get the state you know, deductions, those tax right. credits for certain uh, state state uh, uh, causes as well. Yep. Nicely done, Sean. Thank you, You betcha. Sir. Seth, we'll uh, talk tomorrow, as yep. always. Securities and Advisory Services offered through Creative One Securities, LLC, member of Finra and Sipigan, an investment advisor. Grand Canyon Planning Associates, LLC, and Creative One Securities, LLC, and not affiliated. Go to our website, grandcanyonplanning.com. It's a fun website. Thank He's, you. He is, John, to those of you that don't know him yet, individually ah. or personally, he is exactly in public who he is in private. Just a great guy. Cheerful and Smart. I am Seth Liebson, 602 What was the biggest story to you this year? Kind of an interesting question I hadn't thought of. I'd love to know what you're thinking. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. If you are concerned with stock market volatility, our friends and sponsors at Y-Refi have an investment opportunity for you in a portfolio, high, high fixed rate of return, and it's not correlated to the stock market. You can turn your monthly income on or off. You can compound it, whatever you want. And there is no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. Uh, this is a secure, collateralized portfolio that delivers up to 10.25% rate of return. That's 10.25%. And you can check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or call them at 888-YREFI-34, 888-YREFI-34. Great guys. Uh, I know them well, and uh, they do well by doing good. You can be part of that. Uh, yeah, so I was asking you all what you think is, uh, or to you, was the biggest story of the year. I'd be curious to know what you think. Uh, 602-508-0960 is the number. And um, to me, the biggest story of the year, I'm in concurrence with Scott Johnson at Powerline. It's uh, it's not only the biggest, it's the most underreported. Imagine that. The biggest is the least uh, least noted or least noticed by the mainstream media. And that is the government's, uh, shall we say, um, interference and pressure to uh, censor or give excuses to censor over on Twitter. And I had mentioned a segment or two ago that when you think of Twitter as a news and political communication tool, app, website – and you have a government, as was just released in the latest uh, 41-part thread that took place over the last few days by David Zweig, and you realize that um, that the U.S. government was, was giving those excuses to Twitter and intervening and suggesting and more than suggesting censorship of certain political points of view, and you think of Twitter as a communications tool, think about and maybe take 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 a decade Take it a decade or more back, 10 years or so back, 
when you would have had some company like AT&T or Verizon uh, or a landline company like – I don't know what was our landline company here. Was it Mountain Bell before all the breakups, consolidations? If you had the government telling Mountain Bell or Verizon or AT&T to censor communications – between individuals when they didn't like the message that they were communicating, promulgating, disseminating, whether it was one-to-one or whether it was a conference call or anything like that, any, 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 any kind of mass broadcast, even a recorded call, even a recorded call that people dial into. Think, think about that. That analogy is pretty, pretty close to spot on in what transpired here. And not only is the analogy pretty spot on, um, with enough, shall we say, um, enough pressure, to put it no stronger, with enough pressure from an incoming Republican Congress, there are, there are some tools to do some things about this. I have uh, spoken about, you know, up until Elon Musk took over Twitter, the tisk tiskers would say, well, you keep saying First Amendment. Twitter's a private company. It can do whatever it wants. First Amendment doesn't apply to private companies. Well, some of us who were a little more careful never used the word First Amendment. We said free speech. But now that those who want to defend pre-Elon Musk Twitter, now that they want to invoke the First Amendment, we can now do so. We can now do so because of what we've learned what we have learned is that the FBI was working with Twitter to stop political communications, whether it was about the Hunter Biden story or whether it was about COVID or whether it was about any any other pretextual issue that the that the FBI found politically uh, distasteful and disagreeable. And the reason I say so is because there is a longstanding doctrine that the government cannot pressure or coerce private industry to do its work for it. Government cannot uh, cannot uh, cannot pressure a private company to do what the government itself cannot do. You know this by common sense, really, if you step back and think about it. You know, for example, that a private company uh, cannot be... Um, cannot be pressured, should not be pressured, and it would be illegal for the government to pressure a private company to discriminate along racial lines. Take any company you like. I don't care. Just pick one. Uh, take a private company. Take uh, McDonald's, okay? Let's just say McDonald's. If the government of uh, the state government of California or a city or municipal government in any state or California or anywhere, or even if the federal government, said um you know we uh we don't like uh we 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 don't like muslims uh or we don't like uh bangladeshis or we don't like jews or we don't like we want to put pressure on these uh citizens or these not even citizens uh these inhabitants of america to make them feel uh as second class or least not as first class. We want them not to feel welcome here. We want them to think that this is an uncomfortable place for them. As uh, 
often happened with various minorities in uh, if the governments were to you know apply pressure to McDonald's to do that it's not anymore just a McDonald's issue it's not anymore just a McDonald's problem it's a government illegality and that's what has taken place here it is an axiomatic principle, the Supreme Court said, that the government, quote, may not, I believe this is from William Brennan, yes it is, the government may not induce, encourage, or promote private persons to accomplish what it is constitutionally forbidden to accomplish. So when the government is now pressuring a private institution that does not have to abide by the First Amendment to do its dirty work for it, yeah, you now have a First Amendment problem. You now have a First Amendment problem because the government is, so to speak, outsourcing the violation, outsourcing the illegality, outsourcing the unconstitutionality. I think this is the biggest story of the year. This is what happened. It's been revealed to have happened. It changed elections. It changed uh, people. It changed their professions. It... Uh, it changed uh, professional uh, advancement. It led to people being fired. It led to people not being hired. And, um, and, it, and it led to political excesses and public policy excesses, which is to say death when it came to COVID. This is the biggest story of the year, at least to me. But I'm open to anything you think might be. 602-5080-960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Mike is in carefree. Hello, Mike. Hi, Seth. How are yeah, you? Yeah, what I hearing about, you know, all these government agencies performing these political acts, I worked for the VA for a period of time, and in your orientation, they basically said if you have a political bumper sticker on your car, you can be disciplined and potentially discharged. Uh-huh. Okay, because they didn't want anyone to associate a government employee with a political message. Exactly, and this is very. And this is as far removed as a medical uh, professional, presumably at a VA hospital. That's correct. Not something people think of the government often. I mean, it is, but it's not. It's not what when people think of government. Examples of the government, people don't first go to the VA. Not usually. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I mean, it's like all, and it's. I mean, it's a it, they pound on it for about an hour in your orientation, and I've I've only worked for one government agency in my life, and that was that one. But uh, I have several nephews and nieces that work for the federal government, and they've all had the same experience. And it always sort of surprises me when the FBI can get away with it. This is this is something the FBI should not be getting away with. Uh, we thought that the FBI wasn't doing this ever since its creation. And then, of course, it was highlighted and redlined and put up in the in the stars with fireworks in the 1970s, 1975, the, the Frank Church Committee hearings, uh, which I think they still teach about in schools, or they used to, at least I remember hearing about them and reading about them, when it was, you know, a big scandal that the FBI and the CIA was engaging in domestic surveillance and political pressure. It wasn't just Nixon and Watergate. It was several administrations using those those um, those apparatuses. And we thought we were done with it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they had two files on people that were yeah. 
homosexuals, and he was a homosexual himself. So he he knew how to how to basically uh, blackball and blackmail everyone. Yes, this 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 was known as 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 a danger, and 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 we thought we were quite done with this. You you kind of get a new life and meaning to the to the Jeffersonian concept that uh, eternal vigilance is the price for freedom because we think we solve problems in this country and that they're solved. They aren't. We thought we solved uh, FBI uh, involvement in political operations in the 70s. We didn't. We thought we solved welfare in the 90s. We didn't. On and on this goes. On and on it goes. All right, Mike. Bless you, sir, and thank you for your service. I am Seth Liebson. Don't go away. A lot more coming right up. Brandon Weicker. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.